just before we get started, too, somebody brought me, where's Becca's? Becca over there brought me one of my favorite Cokes in a bottle. So, oh, just don't mind me just for a minute. See, that's just, that's just the nectar right there. It's so good. Can't be in a plastic bottle, can't be in an aluminum can. It's got to be a glass bottle, so mm, delicious. Every now and then I might just have to stop and enjoy some of that. So we've got a series that, that, uh, that we started last week. It's called 24, and if you're familiar with that show, it was one of the most popular shows of its kind in television history, eight seasons. And, and so we're kind of using it creatively to launch us into a series that, that we thought was only going to probably last about three weeks. And so I think it's going to go a little bit longer because the more I dig in there and the more reading and studying that I'm doing, I'm realizing there's just a lot in here that we don't want to hurry through as a church. And so we're going to pick up on this theme uh, for our Father's Day uh, next weekend for both campuses. And then we'll probably be in it for two weeks after that. We'll see how it goes. But we introduced it last week. I want to do a little bit of recap if you weren't here last week. And, uh, and then you can always catch it on the podcast too. But before I do that, can we just throw this up here? Because you might not know who they are. And this is important because this family right here, these are the campus pastors of Williamsburg, brand new. Brand new. Can you cheer for that? So the rule is if you, if you work on staff, you can't have more hair than me. So that's why Juice has the sides shaved just to even it out. So, so, so let me just tell you a little bit of the background, then we'll get back, back into, the, into the sermon series. But this is Jim and Debbie Bell's son, his daughter Michelle, and their two children, uh, Braden and Rylan. And uh, so I guess it was a couple of months ago, Jim called me and said, hey, my son, he's been on staff for the last four years at a very large church uh, in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, and and uh, he had been there for two, and then they hired him to be one of their youth pastors. Uh, it, was, it was a whole staff of youth pastors. The, the, the church is probably close to 10,000 people between both campuses. And uh, so he really felt like God was speaking to him to plant a church. And so Jim said, hey, would you talk to him and just let him pick your brain a little bit? And I said, well, there's not a lot there, but, you know, I'll give him what I've got. And, and so, so, so we talked the very first time a couple of months ago. And as we were talking, we were not very far into our conversation. And he was describing the church that he wanted to plant. And I'm thinking to myself, you're, you're describing the City Life Church. He wasn't using the same words that we use, but he was describing, he talked about three groups of people that he wants to reach, which, you know, we want to reach three groups of people. We call them the undevoted and the disconnected and the disciple. He described those three groups of people as if we're just getting excited, sharing and talking, and then all of a sudden I really feel like God speaks to my heart. Hey, he's supposed to be the campus pastor in Williamsburg. And so I didn't say anything to him, and we have a, a, a deferring model of leadership here, and so I knew that I needed to get permission from the governance team to even put that in play. And so as soon as we got off the phone, I'm calling and emailing and saying, hey, can I just suggest this to him just to see what God might do? And so they, so we prayed about it. We felt, hey, it's not going to hurt anything to at least talk about it. So, so we began to talk, and one thing led to another, and we put it through an interview process. One of my favorite things in the journey is I sent him four pages of questions of uh, things that are important to me, and, uh, and it came back 21 pages long. I was like, come on, this guy's got something to say, so I like that. And, and so we did a Skype interview with the governance team, and then it was a few weekends ago, we actually flew them out. They came out here, the two of them together, so they could be at both campuses.
campuses and that Sunday night uh, as Vanessa and I were having dinner with them we had met with the governance team earlier that day and just we all knew that they were supposed to be a part of this team so we extended that invitation to them and uh, they went back home to pray and really weigh it because it's a, it's a big step for them and uh, and they really so we were at the Elam conference uh, that that Tuesday night and I got an email my, my phone was on vibrate it buzzes and I see that it's from Pastor Jamie Bell and I'm thinking to myself you know there's an answer in this email, right? If it's yes, I'm going to be really excited. If it's a no, my conference up here is ruined, right? <laughs> so, of course, I couldn't wait. So I opened it up, and right there in the email, you know, they shared. They felt like God was speaking to them about coming. And so it's our first time having a bivocational pastor. We've never had that before. We do not have a salary budget for their position. And so they knew that coming in. And so we've been able to do some things to pay to get them out here. Uh, when they come, but once they come, they're going to be living with Jim and Debbie for a season, and, uh, and they're going to be looking for jobs, and then they're just going to throw themselves fully into the work of that campus, and, uh, and it's just, it's going to be an amazing, exciting journey. They are, I cannot wait for you to meet them and get to know them. They're going to be an incredible addition, their whole family, to this staff team, and so can we just pray for a minute for them before we move forward in the service? They're waiting for their house to sell, and so just a couple of things, but we're hoping they're going to be here in July. So Father, we just lift up Pastor Jamie and Michelle and Braden and Ryland to you right now and we just celebrate your goodness that here we have been these last few years on different tracks pursuing ministry and running after you and little did we know God that you've been birthing a vision in both of our hearts that was exactly the same and now through divine providence you have brought us together God and we thank you for the gift that they are going to be to this church and I thank you for the gift that this church is going to be to them and this journey that we're going to go forward together heaven now heaven forever this message in this region the discipled the undevoted and the disconnected for your name's sake for your greater glory in Jesus's name and everybody said together amen amen, amen. come on we're excited it's going to be good it's going to be good. So we're in this series called 24. You can give me the second slide, uh, or I'm on it. All right, all right, I'll give that. All right, so here we go. So this is the big idea that we put forward last week, that we have a mission, time is short, and evil must not win. Let's say it again. We have a mission. That's you and that's me. It's not that, that you're invited to be on the sidelines and watch this mission play out throughout history. God said, no, you've got a part that you're supposed to play in this great mission that's happening in the world. We have a mission. Time is short and evil must not win. And so you can get it on the podcast. We're not going to dig around in it too much tonight. But Revelation 12, 11 is the famous verse that said, as they, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, loving not their lives, even unto death. And we talked about that. And in that verse, we find that our secret weapon is being and making disciples that your testimony your story there are moments like this that didn't Danielle do a great job sharing that story and so she that's you can call that a testimony but there's another word for the application of testimony it is just the story of your life it's all of those stories put together the greatest story of your testimony is the story of your journey of transformation and change it's what it means to be a disciple and it means that as you change you're inspiring other people to change and so you being a disciple you make other disciples this is our secret weapon in this mission that we are a part of in fighting against evil the devil is the defeated enemy but he's not laying down and just going away he wants to take as many people with him as he can and we want to be a church that stands in the community that says not these and we want to rescue those that God is calling us to reach and you have a part to play in that 
We talked last week about this idea of disciple, that you don't find the word discipleship anywhere in the entire Bible. And that's because of the first century, the concept of disciple has never been about something we do. It's always been about a person that we become. Now, is doing part of our journey of being disciple? It absolutely is, and we're going to talk about that tonight. But the doing is not our goal. We do not want to be a church that just occupies your time. We don't want to be a church that just gets you busy, and then five years go by, and you've not changed. That's not the journey of a disciple. The journey of a disciple is a journey of transformation. And we want to be a church that introduces you to the things that you need to do, but for the purpose of the change that is supposed to come. So these are the 24. That's part of how we got this number 24 that we dialed in. These come from George Wood, a great modern-day scholar. He has what he calls his five great growth lists. It's in Matthew 5, it's in Romans 12, it's in 1 Corinthians 13, it's Galatians 5, and it's 2 Peter chapter 1. You can listen to the podcast and you can get those and then we get our notes online at the end of the series. It'll all be there. But when you take those five great growth lists and you distill them down, take out the overlap, I think you've got 24 amazing virtues. Gentle, self-control, persevering, kindness, goodness, wisdom, faith, truthful, merciful, hospitable, and patience. Devoted, meek, emotionally honest, desiring righteousness, peaceful, faithfulness, humble, serving, fervent, joy, hope, love, and affectionate. It is the portrait of a disciple. It is the journey that we're supposed to go on. These words are supposed to describe who we are and who we are becoming. We're not going to get all the way there, but we like to say we want to get closer than I was yesterday. And there might not be noticeable incremental change between who I am and yesterday, but if a year goes by, if three years go by, and five years go by, and these words are not more of a prominent description of who you are, then something's gone wrong in your journey as a disciple, and we as a church want to help you get back on track to the change that's supposed to come, that these words are supposed to speak to who we are. Proverbs 13, 4, as we're reading through the Bible, I came across that this week and the chronological plan, and I thought, you know, what a great verse for this series. Lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. Now, is Solomon talking a little bit about our material life? Certainly he is, but we know that there's multiple streams of meaning in many different texts in Scripture, and this isn't just about our material life, it's also about our spiritual life. There's work to be done as a disciple. We, we can't just sit back and say, oh God, God, I'm ready, make those 24 things come alive in my life, one, two, three, go, right? There's work that we have to do. There's a labor that has to be done. There's intentionality. There's discipline that's got to come to be a part of who we are. We can't be the lazy person that just hopes it happens. We've got to be a person that works hard because God wants to see those 24 virtues or the fruit of discipleship prospering in our life. And I want to read this one to you. This is in 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 8, now this is one of the five great growth lists, so I, and this verse comes right at the end of it, so I love where this appears in the Bible. Verse 8, it, it's right after the, one of the, the fifth great growth list. It says, the more you grow like this, what's he talking about? He's talking about those virtues, some of the ones that he listed. The more you grow like this, the more productive 
and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read right there that there's an expectation that we're going to be useful in the kingdom of God. There's an expectation that we're going to be productive. There's an expectation that we're going to be an active participant in the works of God in this life. And Peter is saying, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us through these same writings today, that you and I need to get busy getting these things flourishing in our lives so we can fulfill the part of the mission that we've been given to do. 1 Peter 3, 4. These are, these are, I'm a word guy. These are some of my favorite words in the Bible. These three in the Greek. Hidden, person, and heart. It's kryptos, anthropos, cardia. It's the words that give us cryptology, anthropology, and cardiology. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Now, this is for another sermon for another time, but this text has been terribly misused to advance chauvinism, even in the church. And one, one of the tragedies of misinterpreted texts in the Bible is that it overshadows the greater truth that's supposed to come. And the greater truth, I believe, that's supposed to be communicated through this text is that you and I are precious to the creator of the universe, just as we are. The preciousness is not referring to, I don't believe, the, the fact of being gentle and quiet. I think the preciousness, preciousness is referring to the hidden person of the heart. It's our immaterial self. It's the part of us that makes us unique. It's the part of us that makes us beautiful. It's the part of us that's going to live forever. There's an eternal part to who we are that came into existence when we took our first breath as a devoted follower of Christ. And God looks at us as his children and says, you're precious to me. And it's a powerful thought to realize he says that to us wherever we might be. He says that to us even if none of those 24 are present in our lives. Even if the opposite list, right? We joked about coming up with the opposite list, the un-24, right? Of, of the, the backwards of all of those. Even if that describes who you are, if, if you are a devoted follower of Christ, God looks at you and you are just as precious to him as Billy Graham and his mother Teresa was. There is a preciousness that we find in God being our father. But if we use that acceptance as permission to not change, then we have grossly misused his grace. We find these verses like this where God says, hey, the hidden person of the heart, who you are, is precious to me. But he still says, let's go on a journey of transformation together. It's if you're a parent, you get what I'm talking about. Is that there's nothing that any of my kids, Derek, Ethan, or Claire, there's nothing that they could do to cause me to love them any less. Not nothing. Am I going to be irritated by them at times? Certainly. Are there going to be times where maybe I'm a little disappointed in choices that they make? Absolutely. Maybe there will be moments where I feel embarrassment on their behalf. Most certainly. But there is nothing that they could ever do as their father to cause me to love them any less. But because I love them, I don't leave them the way that they are. Because I love them, I'm continually inviting them, even at a young age, to go on a journey with me as their father. We're going to be talking about this next week. To say, come on, let's run after this thing together because we have a mission and time is short and evil must not win. And as a father, I'm responsible for their discipleship more than anything else in this world. Talked about Mark Batterson. Love what he said at that conference. We shared it last week. He said he wanted to be famous in his home above all else. God loves you, but he loves you enough not to leave you the way that you are. We want to be a church that helps you get a vision for the acceptance of God, for the affection of God. 
that even if you are the most rotten donkey in the lot, you with me? There is affection that wells up inside of his heart for you. But do not let his acceptance give you permission to say, well, he loves me like I am. Why should I even try? One of the greatest joys that you're going to experience in this life is the transformative power of Christ at work in your heart. And one of the greatest fulfillments that you're ever going to know is to stand up into the calling and the destiny that God has spoken over your life and the foundations of the earth. And as you begin to change and transform into the person that he's called you to be, he's going to be able to release you to begin to accomplish the things that you're supposed to accomplish. And you're not growing anymore into his affection, but you're growing ever more into the celebration of heaven. And we want you to be both loved and celebrated. And we want to be a church that helps you walk in that purpose. We're not talking about changing what God's made. We're talking about what we have broken. John Ortberg is one of my favorite authors. He's got this line in his book, The Me I Want to Be, that really God is just at work making you a better version of yourself. If you're quiet and introspective, he's not going to make you gregarious and extroverted. If, if you're someone who you tend to process information by thinking and reflecting and internalizing, like that's me. So at the point that I'm talking about it, I've really worked through a lot of it. Where Vanessa and her personality is that as soon as she thinks it, she's an outside processor. She's talking about it out here. And we had to figure that out about each other in our marriage. As you're married, you know that. You learn about one another. So when I was talking about it, she knew, well, i got to get up to speed here because this is close, Right? When she was talking about I knew that she just, she didn't need me to, and I was afraid, oh no, that's going to happen tomorrow, right? No, I'm just talking about it here, Fred. I'm just talking. About it. So, so God's not trying to change your personality. He's not trying to change the things about you that are personality driven. These 24 things that we're talking about, they're virtues. They're character based. The character doesn't displace the personality. It just releases your personality to be the gift that it was supposed to be. Character will temper personality. Character will help soften certain parts of our personality if they are excessive. It brings balance. But he does not want to change what you are and who you are because he made you that way. So we've got three numbers that we've been talking about as a church for some time now. The one, the six, in the 12, and we're adding a third number that's going to be part of our conversation as a church family, and that's the 24. So if you're visiting with us tonight, just a quick recap. The one is Jesus' great promise to the world. We find it in John 10.10 10, when he said, I've come that you might have life, have it to the fullest possible measure. We find it in Psalm 27.13 where the psalmist writes, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There is nothing that we can do to earn our way into the capital H heaven that's to come. That's all dealt with by Jesus on the cross. But whether or not we're going to have some heaven on earth, that's up to you and me. That's dependent upon the work that we do. That's dependent upon how much we're willing to give our lives to this journey of being a disciple. And so our vision statement as a church is simply this. Heaven now, heaven forever. And the first heaven is a lowercase h, and the second heaven is the capital H. And so, you know, we've got some ink in the church, right? You have a little ink on you. So we've been talking about, you know, at some point, I'm 46, I'd like to take my first, you know, journey into maybe getting my first tattoo. So Vanessa, uh, about a month ago, she said, you should get heaven now, heaven forever. Yeah. Right here. I know, isn't that good? I know, I know. We'll see, we'll see. Maybe this year. We'll see. My arms are so skinny, though, there's not a lot of room to work with. They're going to have to pick a really small font. So really, I'm going to have to start working out a little bit so I can get some space to put that on there. But we believe that as a church. It's a mission statement for my life. 
heaven now, heaven forever. I think that's Jesus' promise to you and to me. And so then when we study the life of Jesus, we find that he has six foundational commands. Follow me, love God, love one another, be perfect, go into all the world, be filled with the Spirit. You show me a person who's endeavoring to fulfill those six commands, I will show you a person who's taking hold of the great promise of Christ. You show me a person who's running after those six commands with all that they are, I'll show you a person who's drinking deep of the heaven now. You show me a person that's running after those six, I'm going to show you a person who has troubles. I'm going to show you a person that goes through seasons of hardship. It doesn't displace the principle of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and the seasons of life that we're going to walk through. But when you're working to fulfill those six in your life, there's a transcendent joy that helps you make through the seasons of lack until you get to the season of goodness again. The great one, if I want to have it, I've got to fulfill the six. And if I want to fulfill the six, then I've got to walk in the 12. We call those pathways. Other people know them as spiritual disciplines. There's scripture and prayer and worship and fasting. The next four, relational base. There's reaching and gathering and relationship accountability. And then the last four are service and rest and generosity and stewardship. As you begin to walk in the practicalness of those, those are doing things. You with me? You do those 12 things. As you do those 12, if you, as you give your life to doing those 12, you will be a person who fulfills those six commands. The fulfilling of the six is the natural byproduct of a life that's focused on the 12. And when you walk in the 12, you fulfill the six and you take possession of the one. How does the 24 come into play? When you give yourself to this journey of the one, the six, and the 12 as a disciple, I'm telling you, these 24 virtues will begin to flourish in your life. You create the environment, I am telling you, they will grow. You create the right setting, I am telling you. Are there practical things that you need to do? We're going to be talking about it as a church family in our journey together in the years to come. But above all else, first and foremost, these 24, they are the fruit of being a disciple. A person who gives themselves to the walk of the 1 and the 6 and the 12. Are you ready for a commercial break? We've never done a commercial break in church before, but we like to do, we like to, 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 to do first. Are you ready? So this is a little teaser for a big event that's coming up in November. All right, let's bring the house lights down. I'm going to grab my Coke and sit here on the front row. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't try to see things.
All right, now I'm, oh, there I go. Now I'm on. So November 1st and 2nd, Pastors Ron and Sandy Johnson, the former lead pastors at Bethel Temple, now they're ministering down in Florida. We're flying them in. They're going to do a marriage retreat weekend with us here at the City Life Church. We're going to be at the beach, is where the where Friday night and then Saturday morning, and then they're going to be preaching and ministering at both of our services, both of our campuses, both Saturday night and, uh, and Sunday morning. So it's going to be an amazing weekend. So we just want to get that on your calendar. We're going to be talking more about that in the weeks and the months to come. But we are so excited about them coming. And, uh, and is, if you're married, you've had conversations just like that before. And uh, it's just so rich, so rich. So I think it was Juice. Juice was the one who emailed me that this week and said, you, you've just got to see this. We're going to fit this in this weekend somehow. So we've, we've created the whole idea of commercial breaks in the sermon. So maybe we'll have some fun with that. We'll debrief and see. So, all right, here we go. All right, so pathways. There are 12 principles, I believe, that govern these 12 pathways. We're going to try to get through four of them tonight. We'll see this weekend and again tomorrow at Williamsburg. And then we'll do Father's Day uh, next week. And then I think what we'll do is we'll give two more weeks to each of the remaining four principles. But understanding the principles of the pathways are just as an important part of understanding the pathways themselves. Does that make sense? There, there's a self-evidencing quality about a lot of the pathways. We're going to talk about that. That's one of the principles. But there, there are other principles we need to understand how these pathways work. And so we're going to, again, try to get through four. So the first one is this. It's the principle of concurrence. The principle of concurrence. They are not all preferential, but all essential. Our personalities and callings might make us more predisposed to some rather than others, but we need all of them active in our lives. Now, I'm not going to go there for time's sake, but I hope you spend some time reading this this week in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 are great examples of where we see the principle of concurrence being introduced to the world. It's this idea that you need lots of different diverse things all present and working together to be healthy. So in Ephesians 4, it's talking about different callings of leadership. In 1 Corinthians 12, it's talking about manifestational gifts. It's talking about certain ways that people serve in the church. It delves into leadership a little bit. But it's this idea that Paul is trying to, that God has given to him, that he's giving to the world, is that if for church to be healthy, it needs lots of different kinds of people with different kinds of passions and callings and giftings all working together at the same time if you're going to be healthy. And it's true in our spiritual life. The same is true. If you are an extroverted, gregarious, just love being around people, then the relationship side of the pathways, you're going to gravitate towards that. That's going to be one you just can't wait to get to. But setting aside time in your schedule to be alone, off by yourself, some private time with God, that one might be one that you're less inclined to do. You might be a teacher, that might be your gifting, and so you relish an enormous amounts of time just by yourself studying God's Word, but the idea of signing up and going to a life group might be a little bit intimidating to you. And so what we find in our spiritual life, that all of these virtues are not flourishing in large part because our personalities keep us from embracing all of the 12. God's not going to change your personality. So that means it's incumbent upon us to say, yes, there's ones that I'm going to relish in more than the others, but my personality is not an excuse to leave some of the other ones behind. 
We see this same principle working in our lives on a daily basis. If you've ever said, you know what, maybe a New Year's resolution, I, this year I'm going to be more healthy. Maybe I'm going to drop a few unwanted pounds. You know that there's not just one thing that you have to do, right? If you're going to be healthy, then you've got to have a regimen of rest. You've got to take a serious look at the stress in your life. That's a huge part of your physical well-being. You might need some medical attention for some certain things. You've got to manage your diet. You've got to work out, right? I'm just tired thinking about it. I'm burning calories just thinking about all the things that I have to do to be healthy. But you know, right, we understand, we get it. You just can't do one of those things. You have to do all of them if you're going to accomplish it. If you need to get your finances in order, there's not just one thing that you need to do. We understand in this, the principle of concurrence, it governs our life in so many ways. If you are married, you understand that there's many pathways to intimacy. You just can't have one if your marriage is going to be healthy. You need to get as many of them working into your life as you can. The principle of concurrence. You must recognize that I need all of these things operating in my life if I'm going to go on this journey of being a disciple. If the 24 are going to flourish in my life, I need all 24 happening at the same time. All right, this is the next one. I love this word. I found it this week because I have an alliteration addiction I'm very honest about that all the words have to start with a C, right? Or all the points have to start with the same one. So I found this new word, concatenation. It's good, isn't it? It might make it into my Christian curse word list, right? If you're a Christian, you have words that you use that aren't really bad, but when you're angry, so if you're a parent, I now I can walk in, I want, what in the concatenation is going on in here, right? <laughs> so I'm just, that's free. I'm just giving that to you tonight for free. You don't even have to know what it means, but you can just throw it around, right? So, so, so this word concatenation, it's, it, it, it's a powerful word. Concatenation means that you link things together in a series sequentially and the thing that you add needs the other thing to follow, but it can wait for it to come. And then you add the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And when you turn to Genesis 1, I want to read a little bit in it. I'm not going to read all of it tonight. But when you turn into Genesis 1, you find the principle of concatenation as at work in the very first chapter of the Bible. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, making the first day. And then God said, let there be space between the waters and separate the waters from the heavens, from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters from the earth and the waters of the heavens. And he called the space sky and evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Now, we're not going to read all of that, but we know that he created on six different days. And on the seventh day, he rested. And what we find is that the second day did not displace the first day. What he created on the third day didn't overwhelm what happened on day two and day one. What we understand is day one needed to happen so day two could happen. And then day one and two had to happen so day three could happen. It's powerful, isn't it? He's the creator of the universe. He could have done it any way that he wanted. He could have created all the very first day. If he didn't, that means he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach us the principle of concatenation. That some things in our lives they have to build because he understands, guess what? That we're not sovereign, that we're not God, and we're not all-powerful. And so sometimes he does things to teach us about how we have to do things even though he didn't have to do it that way. So he says, I'm going to teach them this principle. You start with day one, you get day one down, then you add day two, and then you get day two down, then you add day three and four and five and six. You start with the pathways. It's the principle of concatenation. I don't do any of the 12, I'm going to start reading my Bible. It's just day one for me. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to do all 12 of those things because you'll never make it. You'll get frustrated and fail and end up doing nothing. 
You don't need all of them to get started. You pick a few and begin. Perfectionism is one of the greatest thieves of progress because we say, if I can't do it all perfectly, I won't do anything. Perfectionistic people are the greatest procrastinators in the world. Greatest procrastinators in the world because it has to be all right and perfect and complete. So they say, oh, if I can't be perfect, then I'm not going to do it. So people who are perfectionistic sometimes struggle with the pathways more than anybody else. And you've got to give yourself to the truth of God's word. The principle of concatenation is that I just need to get one moving. And once I get one locked in, you know what? I'm going to add a second one. And then once I get that other one added in, then I'm going to add a third. And over time, over time, if you will embrace this principle, you will wake up one day and all 12 of these pathways will be an active part of your life. You think now, how is that possible? But that's part of the principle of concatenation. You grow into them over time. Your capacity increases as you add each one. It's the principles of God's word that begin to govern our lives so we can be the disciples that he's called us to be. All right, number three. The principle of completeness. The principle of completeness. So we like participation here at the City Life Church. So when you hear the word idolatry, what are some things that come to mind? Somebody. Say it again, Doc. You want a Harley. <laughs> That's great. That's, I love it. Love it. Somebody else. When you think of idolatry, what's something that comes to mind? Kevin. Celebrities. Somebody else. Come on, no wrong answers. Clem. Cows. Yeah, yeah, for other, for other religions, right? We were just having that conversation the other day. They said, why did we say holy cow? Why can't we say holy pig? And so we were explaining that. So it was great. Conversations you have as a parent. So our kids said, well, we're just going to start seeing other animals instead. Holy sheep, what is that? Holy. Well, maybe not that one because that could be a little dangerous. What in the concatenation did that man just say? Jen. Cars, yeah any kind of material possession, all throughout Scripture you find some moments in, in, in Scripture as well, right? Some of you are still back on that other thing. I think you said it. I think you said it. There's moments in, in biblical history where we see that there's idolatry that grieves God's heart. I, I believe the essence of idolatry, the reason why idolatry is such an egregious sin against the heart of God, it's us saying to Him, you're not enough for me. It's us saying to God, you're not enough. I've got to go somewhere else to get something that I need. That's why infidelity in marriage is such a hurting, cutting thing to do because it's you saying to your spouse, you're not enough. Whether it involves a person or not, it damages and wounds a person. You with me? Idolatry is this idea of saying, I need to add something else in to get everything that I need. And as devoted followers of Christ, there's got to be something in us that is sold out to the principle of completeness to saying, God, if these 12 pathways are the things that you're saying to me will satisfy me more than anything else, then I know that even though there might be some apples out there that the devil is holding out for me, I recognize temptation for what it is. I'm not going to step into idolatry. I'm going to say no to that, not because I know I'm giving up something, because I believe that you're protecting me from settling for less. You might say, well, I'm not ever going to carve images in my garage and worship them. You might not. But you might have a Harley in there that you love more than you love your family. You with me? 
And God's not saying you can't have stuff. We're not, we're not that church. God's not saying you can't do stuff just for the sheer sake of enjoyment. You're supposed to enjoy stuff like hog hunting and like Cokes in a bottle, right? Some of the things on my list, right? We all have things in our life that we just enjoy. God wants us to enjoy things. That's why he created the world the way that he did. But at the point that those things that I love that are frivolous begin to displace the other things that are eternal, then my life is out of balance and it could be that I'm getting ready to step across the threshold of idolatry. He wants you to give yourself to stuff. It's okay to spend your money on other things. He wants you to give your time to stuff. But if in your enjoyment of things, it displaces time and resources that you're supposed to be given over here, then there could be something in your life that's askew that's going to cause you to atrophy spiritually and those 24 are not going to flourish in your life the way that you're supposed to. And it's serious business because we have a mission and time is short and evil must not win. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, James 1.17. Principle of connection. It's our last one tonight. Psalm 119, 171 says, Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. It's interesting, isn't it? The presence of two pathways right here. Expressive worship and the study of God's word. And the psalmist is saying, because I have studied your word, my worship life is all the more rich. This is the principle of connection. It's all, all the pathways are connected to each other. Meaning that when you get one of them working in your life, it begins to enhance all of the other ones, even when they're seemingly disconnected. As you begin to add a pathway, it enhances all of the ones that are already there. It is the principle of connection. It's the principle of things being connected to each other, that they all enhance the other. So let me give you, let's, let's work through some of them. Gathering, and, and you could do this, you could take one pathway and, and if you spent some time studying and talking about it, maybe in a life group, you could take one pathway and you could make a connection for how it enhances for all the other 11. So as you begin to give yourself to gathering, which is doing this kind of thing, just coming and being in a corporate setting with your church family, as you give yourself to gathering, I am telling you, it makes your serving all the more exciting. When you begin to give yourself to gathering and then you begin to step into serving, especially if when you step into serving on once a month here to make our weekend services happen, which we ask of everybody who calls the City Life Church their home, that all of a sudden your serving is so enriched because you walk away saying, I had a part in impacting other people. You with me? Last weekend, the people who had blue shirts on, they had to get here early, all the work that they had to do, and then all of a sudden, because they put their time in to make this service happen, they got to step back and, and be a part of that amazing story that happened to Danielle. And just in a prophetic moment of our service, it was unplanned where we just felt like we were supposed to pray, and we did. Are you tracking with me? The more you gather, the more you gather, the more your serving of people begins to stir inside of your heart because you look around and you get to say, not in a prideful way, but in a fulfillment way, I got to play a part in making that happen for other people. You've got worship and scripture. It's the opposite of this one, but they all flow each direction. As you give yourself to expressive worship, your scripture reading becomes more alive. Why? Because expressive worship, there's a principle that we read in Proverbs that Acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy. We feel this in our natural relationships. It's true for God. And so as you step into expressive praise and, and worship and you just begin to participate in that, all of a sudden your, your, your sense of love and affection for God begins to grow. And then guess what? 
all of a sudden opening up the Bible tomorrow morning is exciting to you because now you're in love with the creator of the universe. You can't wait to read what he has to say. See, everyone enhances the other. Another one, fasting and prayer. Fasting is a regular part of my life. It should be a regular part of your life. Find ways. We do extended fasts as a church family in January, but fasting should be something that you're doing all throughout your, your year, whether it's a meal here or whether it's just desserts for a day there. As you begin, as you begin to give yourself to the, the pathway of fasting, by denying these appetites, you awaken the appetites for other things. It's part of what fast, it's another sermon for another time. We did a series on fasting. We're going to have to do that again soon. All of a sudden, you get hungry for prayer. You see, it could be that if your prayer life is struggling, it has nothing to do with your prayer life. It has to do with so many of the other pathways being missing. Because each pathway is only able to minister to you to a certain degree. It is designed to exist in the context of all the other 11. Relationships and generosity. If you have a problem being generous in your giving at the church that you call home, you need to get to know people. Because as you get to know people, you can't wait to give because you want to see the church that you're part of flourish to minister to the people that you love. You can do this all night long with all 12 of the pathways. So how do I get started? So this week, we were at the baseball field. Derek was in playoffs and the game was over and so I chose to, to stay behind and Vanessa went home and to, to, to get started with dinner and so we got into the car and I turned the key and just dead as a door down. Concatenation. <laughs> I mean just dead. And usually you know your battery goes, you get some warning, right? It'll, it'll struggle a little bit in the days leading up to it but no, it was just cranking up, cranking up, cranking up ever since I had it and then all of a sudden just dead. So I called Vanessa and she's already at home and I said hey I need you to come back I need to jump and bring my my toolbox because I think my battery's dead we'll just pull it out and go up to the auto parts store and I'll put a new one in right here tonight and so she gets back we try to jump it the lights come on but still nothing it, it won't even jump so we pull the battery out get a new one in and we're driving home and I've got Derek and Ethan in the car and so we're just being silly we're, we're going to talk about this next week you got you might have a serious job but you got to be silly with your kids right your kids need that from you and so we're driving home, and we're just goofing off and joking around. And, and, uh, and so we were saying, wouldn't it be great when you have a problem with your car if you could just do one thing? And whatever the one thing you did, it would fix everything else that was broken, right? So we started just brainstorming stuff. Did you get new tires? Nope, got a new car battery, right? We're just being silly, just goofing around. And then we said, what if it wasn't your car? What if it was every area of your life? And I said, I could show up to church on Saturday, and I would have this huge flowing flock of hair with a huge ponytail. And people would say, are you taking Rogaine? I would say, no, I got a new battery in my car, right? And they would say, concatenation. <laughs> so then, this doesn't have anything to do with my point, but it's funny. So, so, then, so, so then Ethan said, I think I can hear the battery, it's so new. And I said, which you're not allowed to do this if you're a teenage driver, and I told my kids this too, this is part of parenting, you do as I say, not as I do. So I said, Ethan, if you get your face really close to the back seat, but leave a little space, you can really hear the battery hum. Now he knew I was going to do something, but I'm way in the front seat, and he doesn't think that I can reach him. And so as soon as his face got close, I tapped the brakes, and his face just slammed <laughs> right into the, into the back seat. So then I said, I'm 46, I've been driving for 30 years, I better not ever catch you doing that, right? We joke and we laugh about the battery, but really, that's how we treat God. We say, God, just, I just want to do one thing. I'll do it really good, but I just want to do one thing, 
and I want everything else to work out. And he looks at you and I, and he says, that's not how it works. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. There's no elixir for discipleship. There's no panacea. There's no just magic pill that you can take. There's no one pathway that you can say, I'm just going to do this one, and everything else is going to happen. It takes hard work. It takes discipline. It takes sacrifice. It takes focus. It takes intentionality. I'm going to save that verse for the close. If I were to give you three pathways, if I could just pick three, if, you, if those pathways that I mentioned, we did a sermon series in January called His House, and we talked about these pathways in great detail. You can get that online. But if I were to give you three, these would be the three that I would give you. If you were a brand new follower of Christ, I would say get these three going in your life. Scripture, gathering, and service. Start reading the Bible, get around God's people, and find a way to get involved. Those are three fabulous pathways to get started in your life. I had somebody shoot me an email after last week and said, hey, Fred, I looked at that list of 24, and, and uh, wow, I've got a lot of work to do. And I said, well, we all do. And they said, well, where should I get started there? And I said, figure out the ones that are most problematic for you, and that's a great place to start. When you look at those 24 virtues and find the ones, and maybe you need to have a hard conversation with your wife or with your kids or with a close friend, and maybe you give them the list and say, which one of these things would you say are just missing from my life? Maybe it's just picking one. You might say, well, Fred, what do I need to do to work on that? We're going to talk about that in the future, but we're not talking about that today. Because these are the things, like we opened with, it's a lot less about doing and a lot more about being. These virtues, they are the fruit of being a disciple. They're the fruit. Uh, If you pick one or two, I'm just telling you, you will be surprised just by giving it some attention. The Apostle Paul writes about this in his letter to the Church of Philippi in the fourth chapter where he says, think upon these things, all things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, only things that are excellent and praiseworthy. There's just something about getting it locked in and just thinking about it. You give yourself to those 12 pathways so that you can fulfill those six commands, so that you can walk in the great promise that Christ has for you. And I am telling you, those 24 virtues, they will just begin to blossom and bloom in your life. Stand with me. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this moment of worship that that we're going to step into together. We say heaven now, heaven forever. Oh, God, let those words sink deep into our heart. That we have a mission, and that time is short, and that evil must not win. Let's worship together.
game ever played. Anybody see that? Maybe we'll show a clip next week. There's some great Father's Day stuff in there, but the caddy, this little fellow that's in the movie, he has all these great sayings, and one of them is easy peasy lemon squeezy, right? That it's simple. There's nothing easy peasy lemon squeezy about this life as a devoted follower of Christ. It's going to require something of you. This is in Luke chapter 4. I want to start reading and verse 27 it says if you don't carry your own cross and follow me you cannot be my disciple you cannot be my disciple but don't begin until you count the cost for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it otherwise you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and everyone would laugh at you verse 31 or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the army of 20,000. And he goes on talking about this idea that being a disciple of Christ, it will cost you much, but oh, the prize that it will give to you in turn. We have a mission. Time is short and evil. It must not win. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.